Then in Exodus 40, you have the building of the, the tabernacle. God instructs them. They're wandering in the wilderness. They, he instructs them to set up a tabernacle, which is a temporary tent, a, a big tent, a strong tent, but nonetheless temporary that can be moved around. And for the first time, there was a physical location where the presence of God Um, or at least where God's people could go and be in the presence of God. Again, God could still be anywhere at any time, but God, in in human terms, wanted a physical location for the people to come and be with God. While later you have the the dedication of the first temple, 2 Chronicles 7, 1 through 3. Listen to this. They've had the the tabernacle. Now they get into the promised land, and now they have a place where they can build a permanent temple. As soon as Solomon finished his, his prayer, Fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever." And they still couldn't be in his presence. They saw the effects of his presence, but they still could not be in his presence. But now they have this temple to where they can, mediate it in the right way, they can come and they can have a kind of a taste of the presence of God. Then through events in the Old Testament, if, if, if you know that, um, any part of the Old Testament, the temple is destroyed, kind of part of God's judgment. And then the temple is then rebuilt again in Nehemiah, and we see that in Ezra. There's another dedication to the temple. God's presence fills the temple, and again, they have this new rebuilt temple. That brings us now to the New Testament, right? So God's presence has been kind of in the center of God's people throughout all these thousands of years, and this is what God's people have expected. And then you get the message from John that, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we see his glory, glory as the only one, as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And how, how, how much that, that, that message now sinks in, right? Because of the presence, they've, they've really never been able to see God face to face because of his glory. But now he comes in the form of a human. And John says, we have beheld his glory. He became flesh. We've seen God in the person of Jesus. And it's interesting, that word dwell there, the, the, the literal word for that is to set up a tent or to live in a tent. So that word dwell, John intentionally uses that word there to take us back to the tabernacle, to the tent in Exodus 40, when Israel was first given a physical location to worship God. And when they, have, when they would have heard that word, it would have all rushed back into their memory. So there's a clear connection between Jesus being the center, the presence of God now in John 1. Let's read in John 1. We're going to go back a little bit in what we've read the past couple of weeks, and then we'll come to our verses that we're going to look at today. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And that's what we looked at last week, right? This idea of the light coming into 
the world and the effects of light and light reveals and light shines, shines into darkness and it changes darkness. And we, that is what we looked at last week. So the light, the true light has come into the world. He's come in to the world. And now let's look at verse nine. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him Yet, the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So Jesus comes as a physical, embodied human being, just like any one of us, right? Born of a woman, right? Grows up, experiences the earth as a a, a baby, a toddler, all the things that we experience. He grows up like any other human being would. And then you get to verse 10, and it says, Yet he was in the world. The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. That's a problem, right? The world did not know him. God came to earth as a human, yet the world did not know him. So the first problem is he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and they didn't know him. The world didn't. And second of all, John goes on to say, Even his own people didn't receive him. Right, so the world didn't know him, but he clearly came to the Jews, his own people. Right, We see him spending the majority of his time around Jewish folk in the Gospels. And even his own people didn't receive him. This is a travesty that they did not see him. How do we not make the same mistake? That's the question, right? How do we not make the same mistake? Think about this, right? I'm trying to think of how, how to wrap my mind around what John is trying to tell us here. Right now, the most famous painting in the world is called the Salvatore Mundi. It was uh, painted by Leonardo da Vinci and was recently sold for $450.3 million. So almost half a billion dollars this painting sold for just a few years ago. Some art show, Right? So take that painting and imagine you are, maybe you are a, an art connoisseur, right? Imagine you go to a museum where this painting is being displayed. And you're observing this painting. You're staring at this painting. You're kind of caught up in this painting. And you're looking at it and you're, you're feeling all the effects of it. And you're understanding why this painting is worth a half a billion dollars, right? And you're like, this is the best painting I've ever seen. And then next to you is Leonardo da Vinci, the creator of this painting that is worth a half a billion dollars. But you don't recognize him. You don't see him. You just think he's just another person, right? You may not even think that he is worth being in this art gallery to observe this painting based off of maybe the way he looks or the way he acts. And you don't pay any attention to him. You're looking at the painting You're enjoying the painting, you're wrapped up in the painting, and the creator of the painting is standing next to you, and you don't pay any attention to him. Or worse, you just don't even think he should be there. You don't even think he should be around. You don't think he deserves to be in your company. He was in the world. The world was made through him, Jesus, right? He created everything, right? Trinity, God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Spirit, before all things, before Genesis 1-1, they create. 
Jesus was a part of that. All things were created through him, yet the world did not know him. And his own people didn't even receive him. Now, what that, that, that word know is really important. We don't want to skip over that word know in verse 10. Yet the world did not know him. There's two words that are used for know in the Greek, right? In the literal um, language the Bible was originally written in, right? The New Testament, at least. One of those words for knowledge is, or to know, is ido. Ido is the word. And that word is to know facts about, right? Usually it's used in the context of scientific knowledge, usually, right? To know facts about, scientific knowledge, more, more fact-based. There's another word for know that is gnosko. Gnosko. And gnosko, when it is used, it is used in, usually in a relational context, right? There's an there's a intimacy behind this word gnosko. So when it's gnosko is used and we see no translated, we need to, to feel the effects of the intimacy behind the relationship, right? It's, it's a relational term. It's an intimate term. So it's not only just knowing the world didn't like know who he was or know facts about him, but they didn't know him relationally. They didn't intimately know him as a friend, as a savior. Right? So when we talk about our relationship with God, when we say, oh, I know God, or I know Jesus, or even I have a relationship with Jesus, what that means is I know him intimately. I'm, I'm growing into learning more about him. Right? I'm not satisfied with what I know about him. It's not I know facts about him. It's not I got some Bible memorized about him. It's not I go to this building where they talk about him. No, it's I know him. I have a relationship with him. God reveals himself to humanity through his presence, through his presence. In Jesus, he has come as one of us, Emmanuel, right? God is with us. That's why we talk, use that term so much during this time of year because it means God with us. And when God reveals himself like this, when God's presence comes, like we saw in the Old Testament, when God's presence comes into contact with humanity, humanity must respond. We must respond. All human beings must respond when God reveals himself to us. And he has revealed himself to us in Jesus. Right? He came to this earth that was broken and messed up and sinful. And, and it came in a really difficult time for his people, the Jewish people under the rule of the Roman Empire. Right? He comes and he lives a perfect life as a human being, a perfect life that we're all required to live by God, to be holy like him. And none of us succeed. No human being has ever succeeded other than Jesus. He lived that life. And he died the death that we all deserve to die because we're not holy. We deserve God's wrath, but yet, God, yet Jesus stepped in, took God's wrath upon himself, right? We get his righteousness through belief, and he takes our sin to the cross. And three days later, he rises from the dead, and he shows us that he is who he said he was. He was actually God, and the sin has been paid for. And he's made a way for broken, sinful rebels to come back into a relationship with God. And we have access to God through belief, through faith, through relationship with him. This is the way back into relationship with God. It is through belief. 
If Jesus didn't come the way he came, we would have no hope for salvation. He could not be our savior if he didn't come the way he came. That's why the how he came is important. It's important. And this is the gospel. This is the good news. So we all respond to that. Even if you're a follower of Jesus in here, you should respond when God, when you hear this, when you hear the news about his presence. Now, some of you in this room need to respond by repenting, by repenting, um, repenting of your own self-sufficiency, repenting of your rebellion against him, repenting um, of, this th- of an idea that he doesn't exist or you're not going to pay attention to him or being ambivalent towards him or seeing him as something else than the actual savior of the world. And repentance just means, hey, I'm wrong, God. I was wrong. I believe in you. I want to respond to you. I want to change. That's all repentance is, is admitting you've fallen short of the holiness of God and the way he wants you to live and not putting him first in your life as Savior. But others of you need to respond um, by coming to him for healing, right? For healing and encouragement and, and for help, right? Like God has come to us to help those who admit they were sick. Come to those who admit that they're helpless and in need. Jesus says, I've not come to, 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 to come, I haven't come to the well, I've come to the sick. I've come to those who say, yes, I need you, God. Yes, I fall short every day, God. Yes, I need you in my life day after day after day. Like we said last week, Christmas isn't great for everyone. This time of year is really, really difficult for people. You don't have to be happy and, and, and jolly this Christmas season. That's not a requirement of the scriptures, right? It may be really, really hard. Like we live in reality, right? Not all people are celebrating Christmas right now. But here's the one thing that is true about Christmas. We remember God coming in the form of a human being. We remember the incarnation. And when you're just down and you have nowhere else to turn, Maybe the only thing that you can grasp onto is that he's come. His presence is here. He's come in the form of a human. He's faced everything you can possibly face. He knows, right? Like when you talk to him, he knows what you're going through. He knows how you're feeling. He wants you to to rest in that. He wants you to believe that he's present. Maybe it's not be happy. Maybe it's not be joyful. Maybe it's not get over it, whatever you're feeling. That's not the message. The message is he's come and he's here and he wants to spend time with you and he wants to heal you. He He wants to enter into your brokenness. So if that describes you, trust that he's present. He's here. He's with us. Now, how is he with us? He's with us through the Holy Spirit. Look at John 16, 7. That's why the Holy Spirit is so important right? Because Jesus isn't, he isn't on earth in human form anymore, right? He's not, he's gone. He has ascended back to heaven, but his presence is still here. John 16, seven, nevertheless, this is Jesus. I tell you the truth to his disciples. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper capitalized in the scriptures will not come to you. That's the Holy Spirit. But if I go, I will send him to you. So instead of Jesus being a physical person outside of our body, he's sending the Holy Spirit that comes inside of us, that dwells within us, 
that tabernacles within us, that sets up his home within us, those who have faith and belief. If you have faith and belief in Jesus, you have access to his presence anytime you want it, all the time. He's in us. He's with us. So if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus and you're struggling right now, he's with you. And that is the truth. Whether you feel it or not, the objective truth is that Jesus is inside of you through his spirit. Now, we don't understand all of that. That's mind-blowing to think of. But we can trust the scriptures, and I think we can trust experience as well. You've had those moments where you felt him. Maybe it's not right now, but you know he's real, and he's exi- he exists, and he lives inside of you. This changes everything about our walk with Jesus, how we communion with him, how we talk with him, how we spend time with him. It's not this, 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 this um, non-relational thing where we sit down with our Bibles and open it and we read facts and we hope we get this feeling by reading this facts. No, it's so much more than that. When you sit down to read the scriptures and you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, the Spirit illuminates the scripture so you can understand it. And there's this mysterious communication between the Spirit in the scriptures and the Spirit inside of us. It's a relational activity. Now, that doesn't mean every time you sit down, you're going to have fireworks go off. Think about any important relationship in, in your life, your best friend, your spouse, your kids. Not every time you sit down with them, you're like, this is the greatest experience I've ever had. <laughs> that doesn't happen with the people we're close to, right? It's the same thing with God. Because we're finite, because we're sinful, because we're going to be distracted. We're going to think about other things when we sit down with him. But the truth is, he's with us. He's inside of us. And it changes the way we live. I'd love for us to shift our language from saying, I believe in Jesus or I follow Jesus, which are both true, but I'm going to be with Jesus or he's with me. Or the defining mark of someone's spiritual maturity is I've been with Jesus or he's with me or I'm aware of his presence on a consistent basis. Right? Those are the, uh, to, to be with Jesus as much as possible, I think should be one of the main goals of the life of a Christian. But here's the deal. It's difficult. It's difficult. Like the article said that we read at the beginning, it is really hard in this day and age to be present with Jesus in any given moment of the day. I'm, I'm with you on that. It is really, really hard. I remember what it was like. Um, I had the opportunity because I'm old, um, for most of you in this room, I'm old, and I remember what it was like to live. I was an adult uh, before there was internet, right? Before there was a cell phone. I remember what it was like before those distractions came into our world, right? Like, I, I never hear the word other than maybe from small children, I'm bored. Like, I'm bored, just that, that's completely fallen out of like our, our, our vernacular, right? I don't, I don't hear a lot of people say, I'm just really bored, right? Because you, you're, you never have to be bored anymore, right? Like I, I, I use the example a lot. When I'm in a line, even at the stoplight, a three-minute stoplight, my tendency is I want to pull out my phone because I get bored sitting in a three-minute stoplight. That's ridiculous, right? Like 30, 40, 50 years ago, they're, they're, that boredom would have, been, would have been good, right? Think, think with your, sit with your thoughts a little bit. What's on your heart? Who do you want to think about? Who do you want to pray for? Not pull out the phone because you need something to do. It is hard to be, to be mindful of the presence of Jesus in our day in day out life. It is not easy. It has to be fought for. But I think that this, this biblical idea of presence, that God is with us, he dwells inside of us, 
and that that is the key to our faith, then I think that helps us kind of push back against these distractions, this, this shallow way of living where we're kind of always skimming the surface of our life and never going deep um, with anything, right? So he, here's some ways that I think this helps us, right? This is trying to get practical on this. God's presence, he's come to us. He's come with us. He's, he's here with us. And this changes the way we relate to him, and it changes the way we relate to each other, right? How, a few things, how we relate to him. I think the mundane, everyday moments of life are an opportunity now. If he's with us all the time, then there's always an opportunity to think about him, to reflect on him, to dwell on his truth, to think about a, a, a hymn, a song, Right? There's always an opportunity, no matter what we're doing, we have him inside of us. For, for the God's people in the Old Testament, it was more of a problem, right? They had to find the temple. Where's the temple at? We need to be close to the temple so we can go and be in his presence at the temple when these sacrificial times came, ab- came about. Or even when Jesus was walking around on earth, right? If you were somewhere in Europe, you didn't have access to Jesus because he spent all of his time in a fairly small geographical area. But now we have the opportunity with the spirit inside of us that he is with us wherever we go. The mundane moments of everyday life are an opportunity. Reading the scriptures, I mentioned it a minute ago how we read the scriptures now. It's not purely an intellectual fact-finding activity now. It, you do learn things, don't get me wrong, but it's primarily about spending time with God, spending time with Jesus, right? focusing our time in that moment to allow the scriptures to change us. Think about the sacraments, right? Or the ordinances, right? Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Right? These things are, are ways that we, 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 that we know that God is present, right? When we baptize, we know that, that there, there's something special that happens during a baptism service, when the body comes together and celebrates the new life of people. Same thing with Lord's Supper, communion. There's something special. There's something heightened, this heightened awareness of God's spirit when we take the Lord's Supper, when we take communion. These things are, 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 are weightier because of this truth. Now, how does it affect uh, our relationships with one another, right? Jesus modeled for this idea, this idea of what being embodied means, right? So, Hopefully I don't have to convince you of this, but a face-to-face, in-person relationship is better than a social, online relationship. I hope all you would agree with me on that, right? Jesus came as a human being, period. He has modeled for us what true community looks like, right? It's in-person, it's face-to-face. This is the way Jesus did it. So in here in this room, when we sing, we sing together. We sing the same song. We sing at the same time, right? There's something special about that because we're embodied here. Yes, you can go home in your car and sing the same song that we were singing in here, but you don't hear each other's voices. You don't look across the room and see people that you know singing and worshiping. You don't get that opportunity anywhere else than in church when, when brothers and sisters in Christ come together and sing. It changes the way we sing. Mission, right? How we relate to to people who are not Christians, how we love the world, right? We gotta be present with them, with people, to love them, to care for them, to listen well, right? Being present with someone is becoming more and more countercultural, right? Like, you can't talk to somebody without them pulling out their phone and dropping their eyes to their phone to check something when you're actually trying to have a conversation with them. Or now we have... We have phones on our watches, so everyone's like bouncing their eyes when you're trying to have a conversation, right? Looking at your watch, right? 
It's just, this is a struggle. But it can be so countercultural if we're just present. If we look somebody in the eye, ask really good questions, empathize, physical touch, giving someone a hug, right? These are things that seem so simple, but they're becoming more and more rare in our culture. So it affects mission. Community, how we do community together. We talk about community being a family a lot here. Listen to Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. Listen at the end of this passage. This idea of presence comes up. You are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Again, there's temple language, physical temple language there. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows up into a holy temple in the Lord. He's not talking about the temple, though. In him, you are being built together. Through our union with Christ, you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, right? It's not, a physical, it's not the church structure he's talking about. He's talking about through our individual bodies being united together as the church, that's the dwelling place of God. That's the dwelling place of the Spirit, right? It changes the way we do community, right? We don't, we're not satisfied with, with on, online community, Again, it can replace a few things, but it can't replace being the church. It can't replace face-to-face relationships. Or Jesus wouldn't have came the way he did it. Jesus came the way he did for a reason, to be embodied, to be a full embodied human being. So we shouldn't sacrifice face-to-face relationships for relationships online. And, And then the last one I'll say is just being good friends, right? And this is being good family members too, right? It's, again... Being present with the people that are around you most. You read the Gospels. How present was Jesus, right? Whoever Jesus was with, he was present with them. He was fully focused on them. He wasn't distracted. Whether it was he maybe had an interruption, he was headed someplace, he was interrupted, but boom, his attention changed. He focused on people. He listened to people. He was there with people. He didn't send messengers very often to tell people this or that. He went with people. He was there with people. And we see that with him and his relationship with God the Father. So are you present with people? Are you there with people? Right? Are you, or are you distracted? Are you living this shallow life where you're just bouncing around to different places because you're so distracted? Again, Jesus gives us a model for this in how he came. Listen to John, 2 John 12. Interesting kind of a, a, a book we don't uh, spend a lot of time in, but this is how John ends, ends this letter. It's really unique here. He says to this, he's writ, written this epistle, right? This is the, the same John who wrote the book that we've been in, John 1, but he also wrote a couple other epistles. He says this, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete, right? Like he didn't have the things we have today, right? The communication tools, but he got it, right? He said, I would rather be there with you face to face to talk to you, to commune with you. I, don't, I wish I wasn't writing this letter right now. I wish I could be there with you. Listen to this quote from Douglas uh, Gruthius. It's hard to say that last name, Douglas Gruthius. It says this, <clears throat> our personality will come through to some extent in an email message or a tweet, but we are holistic beings. We have feelings, thoughts, imaginations, and bodies. When we remove part of our embodied personhood, misunderstandings become easier. When we trade our physical arms that cross, eyes that linger, ears that detect sarcasm, and vocal tones that imply patience 
for the two-dimensional, two-dimensional avatar, we invite misunderstanding intention. So I think the fullness of joy comes with one personality interacting with other personalities in terms of voice, touch, appearance, and timing. Sometimes it is time just to be quiet with people or to cry with people or to laugh with people. Again, another um, uh, author says this, yes, there is something of us in written words, but not everything in true fellowship can be typed out on, a phone, on phone screens and sent at the speed of light through fiber optic cables. This is the reality of communication. Joy, which, which John brought up, he says, so my joy will be full. John brought that up at the end of that letter. Joy is a precious emotion of our integrated existence. Joy brings our attention, our minds, and our flesh and blood together into face-to-face fellowship. Eyeball to eyeball love. The Christian's challenge is to love not in tweets and texts only, but even more in deeds and physical presence. Because God came, became flesh, and dwelt among us, we can know him intimately. We can know him, and we can be present with one another. It affects our vertical relationship with God, and it affects our horizontal relationships with one another. We can be present with him. We can be present with one another because he is present with us. So my prayer for the rest of our Advent season and beyond our Advent, the Advent season, but that God's presence would, be, would work through us, that he would be among us, and that we would understand that his spirit is inside of us and is empowering us and moving us and helping us and that we can be changed just because Jesus' presence is now in us. Let's pray. God, we're thank you, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the, this good news of, of your coming, of your advent. I pray that we don't look over this fact that you came as a human being. What theologians call the incarnation. God becoming flesh. God dwelling amongst human beings. Being other than us and fully God, but being like us and being fully human. And just all the ramifications and the implications of that. Help us understand that. But more than anything, wherever we're at in this room, whether we need to repent, whether we need to come to you in healing, whether we need to trust in you for for your grace and your mercy, wherever we're at in this room, I pray that we would believe that you're present, that you've come, and now you've sent your spirit into the world. And we have access to you through your spirit because of what we celebrate and what we remember during this time. Because you came. You came as a human. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.